Coming up on Studios America, is wokeness a form of mental illness? The Federalist Joy Pullman thinks so. We'll talk to her about that. We'll check in on America's lawyer, Bob Odenkirk, following the uh, collapse he had on the set of his TV show. And USA Today did a little bit of fact-checking recently, which means someone needs to fact-check them. And that someone is me. As we do, fact-checking the fact-checkers. Stu does America. Welcome to the program. Um, let me start with a fact, and I'll try to check it. Andrew Cuomo was awful. Com. And you see, right here on the mug, fact check, true. Today we are fact checking the fact checkers. And let me start with this little nugget from Newsbusters. Reminder, PolitiFact has zero fact checks on Fauci because he's apparently beyond fact checking. That is kind of amazing. No fact checks on Fauci whatsoever. Luckily, he's never made a questionable statement, so I'm sure it's completely fine. Don't worry. But today I want to focus on how these fact checkers work. These are the people informing you whether you get to keep access to your social media accounts. And I want to zero in on a fact check from USA Today. This is about the George Floyd riots, and it's about reporter and commenta- uh, commenter um, Drew Hernandez. Now, he said this, apparently. More black people have been killed due to the George Floyd riots than unarmed black people fatally shot by police in 2019. This is not progress. Now, that is a controversial statement. Is it true? Well, USA Today decided to take it on, and this is how this business works. The fact-checking industry is just that. It's an industry at this point. And this is how they fact-check conservatives to make them look like liars. Let me start with their rundown of how they figured this out. They say that 17 people were killed in these protests, and 14 unarmed African-Americans are killed by police in 2019. And this is how the spin starts. 14 unarmed blacks shot by police. Where does that number come from? Comes from the Washington Post. More on that later. But instead of using the Washington Post for a source on the other number, they use reporting from Forbes to come out with the number of 17. Maybe they're limited to the information they had at that time, but still, the Washington Post number was not 17, but 27. 27 dead in the riots. So right off the bat, they're starting with a little bit of spin. But back to their fact check here. There are 17 dead in the riots, they say. 14 unarmed blacks shot by police. That doesn't really prove their point. So they look at the protest deaths and find that three of the deaths among the protests were not African-Americans. So now we're down to 14 to 14. But that's just equal. Still doesn't prove their point enough. So they go through the entire list of the 14 and highlight six more that, quote, are not directly related to protests or deaths whose relation to protests are under investigation. Now, first of all, you can't just eliminate the deaths that are under investigation, but that's exactly what they do, including Dorian Morrell, who was shot at 2.20 a.m. on the night of the protests after allegedly participating in armed robberies during the protests and getting into an altercation with someone who was there to check out the protests. But that's apparently not enough to count as a death tied to the protests. Hmm. They also don't count John Tiggs, who was shot at a Metro PCS store on the night of the riots that had been looted on the night of the riots. 
No one is saying Tiggs was there to loot the store himself. He was apparently just there to pay his bill. Really bad timing. Uh, but obviously, this is very much tied to the riots. They literally looted the exact location in which he was shot. They also don't count Calvin Horton Jr., who was in a pawn shop that was currently being looted by rioters. Though, as the Washington Post puts it helpfully, quote, it's not clear whether Horton was participating in the looting. Okay. The store owner shot him during the riots, but apparently that also is not enough to count as a death tied to the riots. You see what they're doing here? They're going through these specific people and the specific situations to try to shrink down the list that is tied to the riots. And they go to unnatural extremes to try to eliminate ties to the riots, eventually getting the number down to only eight. So now in this fact check, there are 14 unarmed black people killed by police and only eight killed in the riots. What would an unbiased fact checker do next? I want you to noodle that for a second. Think about it. What would you do next if you happen to be an unbiased fact checker? If you're going to look closely at the list and shrink it for the riot deaths, aren't you going to do the same thing for the police shootings? And we're talking about horrifically unwarranted deaths of black people, right? That's what we're all talking about here. Well, USA Today just stopped right there and branded Drew's claim false. So let's do the work that they refuse to do. Let's look at the police list and see how many of them actually qualify as these unwarranted, terrible shootings of black people by police. First of all, the number of shootings of unarmed black people in 2019 is not actually 14. It was 12. Now, it's possible that that has changed somehow since they wrote the article. Maybe it was tw uh, 14 when they checked, but it's only 12 now. The Washington Post also includes a little nugget that probably unintentionally makes a pretty powerful point. Unarmed black people uh, account for less than 1% of police shootings. Less than 1% of police shootings. Less than 1%. Doesn't exactly help the narrative for this fact check. So I guess we'll just kind of ignore that and move on. First, we can go look at a group of shootings that look pretty bad. Uh, first of all, uh, Tatiana Jefferson. We covered this one at the time in Fort Worth, Texas. An officer kind of showed up to a call and just fired through the window late at night without really any knowledge who he was shooting at. After that, someone in that house had actually called the police themselves. I don't, and we talked about this at the time. I thought it was horrible police work, though it's unclear whether the officer could even see if she was black, which is usually you want to see what you're firing at. That's kind of a safety tip for young officers who might be watching. That one was pretty bad, and we talked about it at the time. Michael Dean is another one. He was mistakenly shot in a scuffle, and this happened on video. Uh, does not seem to be intentional. Uh, the officer was charged with manslaughter. The officer did use highly questionable uh, trigger discipline in this particular case and has been called out on that. So those are the two that look pretty bad. There were some charges filed in both of those. Then there's some questionable cases. Let's let's go questionable here. Joseph Richardson. He was an infor an informant actually told police that there were drug dealers go go deals going on in a hotel room uh, and that he saw Richardson had a gun in his waistband. The officer says Richardson reached for his waistband as he was turning around and the officer shot him. No charges were filed against the officer. But if you're really skeptical about the police, you might look at that one and say, OK, well, I think he did that on purpose. Let's just say Christopher Whitfield. He was shot during a scuffle after Whitfield stole food from a convenience store. 
Uh, Whitfield had a criminal record and mental illness. Uh, a grand, the grand jury cleared um, uh, the officer uh, who was involved in this particular case, who, by the way, was black. Should point that out. Doesn't certainly doesn't fit the racist narrative that you might you might think. Ryan Twyman. Uh, now, police approached a car with Twyman and another man inside and opened the car to serve a warrant on weapons violations. With the uh, with the car door still open and the police officer standing in it, the car tried to back up and drive away. The door hit the officer, who then stepped back and started firing. You look at the video, you could say, well, maybe he shouldn't have fired or whatever you want to say. Uh, maybe he you think he fired because the guy was black. I, there's no evidence of that's why that that occurred. But maybe you think that one was questionable as well. Jimmy Atchison, armed robbery suspect. He fled police and eventually hid in a closet where he was shot by an Asian American officer. Those are the questionable ones. USA Today counted all of these questionable ones, counted all of them against Drew Hernandez. Remember, they eliminated all of the questionable shootings when they were tied to the riots, but they counted all of them when it was against Drew Hernandez and the conservative side of this argument. Now let's go through the others that were completely justified. Chinara Tom Feep. He was involved in a hit and run, had cocaine in his system, when being patted down by officers, he attacked the officer on video and strangled the officer on video. Then he stole his taser and tased the officer before the officer finally shot him. USA Today counted this one against Drew Hernandez. Melvin Watkins. He was on video trying to run an officer over when the officer shot him. USA Today still counted this one against Drew Hernandez. Isaiah Lewis. His girlfriend called the police to say that he assaulted her. He then took his clothes off and ran through the neighborhood naked and had a long altercation with police in which they tased him several times, apparently to no effect, eventually shooting him. Still, USA Today counted this one against Drew Hernandez. Marcus McVeigh, local media referred to him as a, quote, renowned San Angelo criminal. He fled from his car when he was pulled over, fled into the woods where he had an altercation with police and was shot. Police found crack and other drugs in his car. USA Today still counted this one. Marzaeus Scott. He has an interesting case. Police were called uh, to, uh, to look for Scott after he assaulted employees of a store. When he was found at a nearby hotel, he charged a female officer, hit her in the head several times, pushed her to the ground, and then the officer from the ground shot at him. USA Today still counted this one against Drew Hernandez. Kevin Mason. Police were called for a domestic situation. Mason told 911 dispatchers on recording, quote, you need to tell these police officers to get the F away from my door. If they don't, I'm going to come out there and blast their blast their expletives and kill every last one of them. Shockingly, when he came out the door, police did shoot him. USA Today, those still counted this one. Was that all oh, a bunch of unwarranted, terrible shootings? After all of that, if we count the, these cases the same way, we only have two shootings, two, that qualify as unjustified shootings of unarmed African-Americans in 2019. Even if you use USA Today's faulty number of eight, the claim by Drew Hernandez is still true. And this doesn't even take into account that they're comparing an entire year of police interactions with only a couple of weeks of riots, the majority of which occurred on one weekend. 
This is pathetically shoddy work that is based on completely different standards for one side of the argument, and it still falls flat on its face. They put each conservative claim under the microscope and take the liberal claims as rock-solid truth. The correct rating on this claim is true, but no one's going to look into it. No one's going to look back. No one's going to take away the shame and discomfort that comes from a false claim from a fact checker. They'll just punish Drew Hernandez's uh, social media account and call it a day. Let me leave you here with the lines included under the fact check from USA Today. Our fact check work is supported in part by a grant from Facebook. So happy to welcome to the program Joy Pullman, executive editor of The Federalist. Her new piece is Wokeness Means Forcing Everyone to Live Inside the Prison of Mental Illness. I'll tweet out a link uh, to that shortly. Joy, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, the, the title of it uh, is very descriptive, but also, you know, it comes off as like, are you just slamming people who are woke as sort of insane people, almost like it's just an insult. Mm -hmm. It's not, though. It really is descriptive yeah. of what's going on. Can you explain? Well, it's kind of, as you mentioned, it's a difficult kind of thing to talk about this because nobody wants to, you know, really, um, I guess, you know, criticize or look like you're say, like demonizing a political ideology with the kind of mental illness stigma. But I mean, it's not really, I mean, but I think we do have to understand, um, I mean, even in this is openly acknowledged in the counseling world that bad ideas do um, kind of lead, foster, enable, encourage um, people who have trouble, you know, so for example, I mean, just one basic thing in, in, you know, in counseling that, you know, people might go through is, um, you know, catastrophizing, you know, thinking about the most extreme possible worst thing and then living as if that is the most likely reality. You know, that's a thing that leads to mental illness. And, you know, we see, for example, that exact thing is basically what the news media exists to do. And I mean, right, you know, we just have news coming out about people um, kind of employing that technique politically and thinking about reimposing COVID lockdowns, school shutdowns, creating this climate of fear with masking children who are at less risk from COVID than they are from the seasonal flu. You know, so there are absolute correlations where, you know, sometimes when you think a very broken and wrong thing, you know, uh, it, it messes you up. And, and then there's, of course, the kind of ecosystem of, when a person is really committed to a false and dangerous idea that hurts them and hurts other people, very often there are people in their lives who maybe don't believe that thing or aren't as deeply into it, but they are their enablers. They cushion you know, the results of the person's bad beliefs. They make it more possible for the person to get deeper into the cycle um, of really committing themselves to false ideas. And so those people are kind of, you know, the hidden agents, they're not as visible as those with mental illness, but um, you know, they are absolutely part of, you know, sharing responsibility and making things worse instead of better for them for that person. So, you know, of course, we want to be careful, you know, separating. I don't think, you know, necessarily people on the left are mentally ill, you know, but at the same time, there are certain behaviors and things that are part of progressivism, such as that victim mentality, you know, such as the enabling codependency between individuals and government that the left encourages. I think there, you know, obviously, I thought there was enough to kind of write and talk about about um, the things that, you know, would fairly fall into that kind of discussion. Yeah, I think it's, it's a really interesting th way of looking at it because 
a lot of this wokeness stuff does sort of rest on all of us sort of giving credence to uh, someone saying something we all know is untrue. You know, it kind of reminded yeah. me as you were talking about it uh, in your piece of, of, you know, I've had relatives who have had issues with like Alzheimer's, for example, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they, they will say things that aren't true, but in a way you kind of go along with them because you want them to be happy and you realize they're yeah. dealing with something difficult. We seemingly often do this with people who might say that they're a different gender than they are, or, yeah. uh, you know, there's a million examples that you go through in the piece, but that sort of structure behind the initial lack of connection with reality is important for this to continue, isn't it? Right. And so in, in this article, I kind of talked about how at the core of, you know, mental illness is a disconnection from reality and what, you know, there's many different ways to be disconnected from reality. But we see, again, there's another parallel with leftism, which I think really at its core is about a rejection of the natural world and physical reality and natural rights. So they basically make, I mean, the, the, the philosophy, the political agenda of leftism is literally to make a war on uh, reality, to make a war on nature, um, human nature, the nature of the world. You know, so, I mean, you can just go down the list. Basically, every major part of their political program um, is involved in, in making war against some facet of reality or nature or being as it truly is. So, for example, obviously, the transgenderism issue would be a very visible example of that. And obviously, there's a, a lot of, you know, um, you know, they're called comorbidities. Typically, people who are transgender have many other mental things going on. It's not just, you know, the body issue, but it manifests very strongly in the body issue. Or if you think about, um, for example, again, like this COVID tyranny, you know, the facts on the ground, you know, we've, we've been living under this, you know, for 14, 15 months now, and we've learned a lot of things that just aren't so, and we're continuing to act as if it's March 2020, you know, um, where, where we don't know what's going to happen. We know a lot of things, and we're simply still repeating the same refrains and masking children and and you know saying vaccines don't you know work and all of that sort of thing um so i mean again you know, so but if you just go to the leftist program it really is it there's all kinds of things for example that the left will call empathy right so for example not you know applying consequences to people who do harmful or bad actions such as literal criminals you know Part of their program now involves taking criminals out of jail, not applying bail to them, you know, um, not even punishing them, letting them go. And obviously this is leading to major crime spikes in many cities across the country. So if you just think about that, you know, war on reality, you can see it's, it starts kind of popping up in, you know, basically every facet of the leftist political regime. And that's part of, you know, partly why you feel so unstable living when they're in control, because it really is an unstable based on in, in unreality, false reality, manufactured virtual reality, that's really what the left rests its entire program on. And then, and so that, that sort of thing is unstable and it's uh, very dangerous to live under. And yet there is a real, uh, uh, there's a smart, a subtle intelligence here as far as building a movement. Uh, you, you describe it in, in the piece, many kind and decent people will go along with initial demands. But once that first mm -hmm. concessions are won, the demands inevitably grow. And I, and I, right. you, you brought up the COVID situation, which I think is a, is, a, is a good example of this. And that, like, I think there were real, real reasons to stay the hell away from people uh, in March 2020 until we kind of figured this thing out a little sure. bit. And, you know, at, and we we say, OK, we'll do those things because we even if we think they're the right things to do for that time. But mm -hmm. these demands continually grow and they never seem to go away. How when you might even agree with that initial demand or have sympathy for that view, how do you mm -hmm. push back against this? 
Well, I think you, 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 I, what I have done in my own personal life, and I also, you know, have family members, and as you know, we all have difficult times where we go through hard times, perhaps, or we all have weaknesses, you know, where we struggle, you know. So I've, I've seen this in myself and others. But you know, when you're kind of in like a psychotic and unstable situation, many, many times. I, I, what, what's really been helpful for me is basically saying, okay, so here's a hard line in the sand for me. Um, okay, so I'm willing to do this, but I'm not willing to do this. Um, and then, and, and that, what that really does is help you say, once you get to, they're pushing you across that line you said you won't cross, then that gives you kind of an objective measure of knowing, okay, well, I, you know, I said we would lock down for two weeks, but I wasn't willing to, you know, I, I was, I, I wanted to maybe look at the evidence after two weeks, six weeks, and then once we know that is, you know, I think we should reconsider and change our position, which seems eminently reasonable. And many foreign countries, countries in the, in the case of COVID did that. They were opening their schools two months into um, the outbreak that pe once people became aware of that. And the United States still is stuck in that situation. So, you know, so, um, and the you know, same thing. Okay, well, for me personally, you know, if a transgender friend, someone just for di gender dysphoric has difficulty, I would be willing, you know, when talking with that person in order to be able to maintain the relationship and express love to them, I'd be willing to use a false pronoun. But, you know, my, I'm, my boundary is I'm not willing to, you know, use that in public when talking about the issue in general. So, I mean, so if you kind of help basically say, you, you know, here, here is where I am and think about it objectively when you're out of the moment and you say, you know, this is a moral line for me, this is an ethical line for me, this is a practical line for me. And then once you get to that line and you find yourself being pushed across it, then that gives you a way of, you know, helping yourself understand rather than constantly being gaslit or like the, you know, the frog in the pot where it's getting slowly warmer, slowly warmer, slowly warmer, and each step of the way you acquiesce. So, and also, you know, so people also have to do some more introspection and examination and really, you know, cold, hard thinking about, wait a second, you know, my kids have been wearing masks in school or not in school for the past year. I mean, that should be a hard line for people. You know, so there's many more things that should be hard lines that are continuing to be crossed um, because people are not, are not stopping to think and realize, okay, you know, if this isn't, or, or you say to yourself, okay, so if I'm willing to do this, what am I not willing to do? So kind of sitting there and filtering through that process is something that helps me understand, you know, set boundaries. And that's really what you have to do, whether you're dealing with a person with, you know, a legitimate mental illness, boundaries are very important so that you're sure um, that you're not enabling someone. So for example, you know, many people have um, experience with an alcoholic, right? So, you know, in, in what is enabling to that person and what, you know, is your boundary for, okay, well, I, you know, would be willing to do this for this family member, but I'm not going to shield him from the consequences. You know, if he doesn't get to work, am I going to drive him to work? So those are conversations that people who have, you know, severe um, problems within their family that they have to think about. And I think we have to do the same politically. Um, and for example, with the COVID things, it's obviously long past time to say hard boundaries were crossed a long time ago. And that's true about many other political things, such as the problems with public schools, problems with, you know, our spending problems in Congress and so forth. People just have to start saying no and then enforcing the no, not just saying it, but saying, I'm not going to vote for this person. I'm going to vote for a primary opponent. 
et cetera, et cetera, whatever the specific concrete action is, but we need to start enforcing those boundaries as once we discover what we believe that they are. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, you bring up the, the frog slowly boiling analogy, and I think like there's a big part of this, the reason it gets out of control is because each one of these questions doesn't feel all that disruptive to people. They, they think, ah, well, <laughs> you know, I'm, I, can, I can say that they're something they're not because it makes them mm -hmm. feel better and I don't really care. And it, there are though real world consequences to this. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, Katie Herzog had a piece for, in Barry Weiss's newsletter this week about how people are coming to the hospital and yeah. they're saying they're, they're men when they're not, uh, mm -hmm. or, or their paperwork says that they're men when they're not, and they wind up getting the wrong medical treatment or yeah. they miss a, a treatment, and people have died because of this. Mm -hmm. What are we looking at when it comes to long-term real consequences? <laughs> well, to be honest, you know, at this point in American history, I'm really uncomfortable, you know, with, you know, almost every you know major thing that's going on in our country right it feels like the lines have been pushed so far yeah. um you know we were literally having state-sponsored racism in many public school systems and you know the system is defending it right teachers unions are saying we're going to put millions of dollars the biden administration putting you know millions of dollars on the line to fight this or we literally have you know states that had absolute election chaos in 2020 you know, mail-in ballots here, there, everywhere. And the Biden administration just released stuff saying, you know, they're going to legally fight to make sure that you can never walk back any of those things that happened in 2020 that were supposed to be, you know, temporary COVID restrictions. So, I mean, and it's clear to me that there, for me, you know, we're way past um, the point where people should be freaking out. <laughs> but I don't believe you know, freaking out isn't productive, you know? Um, so I, I don't mean, you know, just sitting there and yelling at your computer. I really think we're past the point where people should be saying, you know, things are so serious that I may have to consider serious changes to my lifestyle, you know, as a result of it, literally moving cities, moving states, um, you know, living much within your much, um, much more within your means, cutting corners to be able to homeschool or send your children to a, a private school. You know, people need to start making, I think, more harder choices. And we, we want to pretend that we live in a country that we clearly don't live in anymore. And it's really hard to leave that. But I mean, you, if you look around and again, objectively say, we're at a point where we, you know, we're, we're talking about maybe not being able to control inflation, about we've been, you know, deficit spending out the wazoo for the past year when we already had more debt than any other nation ever has had in world history. We don't know how we're gonna pay for that. You know, just that is impossible really to come back from without any pain for people. So it's not, it's not fun to think about that, but you know, the only way to really address difficult realities, just like, you know, if you have, you know, uh, you know, a problem within your family codependency or whatever, it's hard, but I mean, going through the hard work to solve the problem is way better than letting that problem get way worse until it is an even worse catastrophe. Mm. Well, I leave you with this, with this line. Wokeness is about creating a nationwide mental hospital of forever patients who never get better. Uh, it's from Joy Don't Pullman. be one of them. Don't be one of them. Don't be one of them. She's the executive editor of The Federalist. Be sure to read it. It's in this piece. Wokeness means forcing everyone to live inside the prison of mental illness. Uh, check my Twitter at Studios America for the link. Joy, uh, thanks so much for coming on the program. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We have a crisis at our border. And we're playing footsie with mask mandates in the people's house. 
I mean, it's absolutely absurd what this body is doing, the people's house. It's an embarrassment. It's a mockery. And the American people are fed up. They want to go back to life. They want to go back to business. They want to go back to school without their children being forced to wear masks, to be put in a corner, to have mental health issues. And we're running around here, and the speaker comes down here at 10 o'clock in the morning saying, we got to wear masks in the people's house while we've got thousands of people pouring across our border, and Democrats don't do a darn thing about it, heavily infected with COVID. I think he's echoing the frustration of a lot of people out there today. Can't believe this stuff is coming back. Can't believe we're in the middle of this yet again. Uh, And with all the stuff that's going on at the border and all these other places, this bizarre situation in the House where they're trying to reinstitute mask mandates when all of them largely are vaccinated or had COVID already, uh, it really is a it's an insane world. But that's where we are right now. Uh, We're in a world where uh, there could be nothing worse than I mean, it's certainly worse than COVID is the messaging. (laughs) from the government about COVID. It changes every three, three seconds. They are constantly in your face about new restrictions. Even when you've gone through and had the vaccine, they still want to put them on you. Uh, it really is amazing. You know, we looked at um, uh, uh, some of this stuff uh, previous shows this week, but it kind of crystallized to me a little bit last night when I was thinking about it. You have a situation where on one hand, they want to be like Bill de Blasio. Let me give you this Bill de Blasio clip. This is Bill de Blasio from uh, on MSNBC talking about vaccine mandates. Watch. If my kids were going to school in September, I would be running to get them vaccinated right now. And and like was said a moment ago, we used to do this as parents all the time for a variety of vaccinations. We've got to shake people at this point and say, come on now. We tried voluntary. Mm. You know, we could not have been more kind and compassionate as a country. Mm. Free testing everywhere you turn. Incentives, Unreal. friendly, warm embrace. Mm. The voluntary phase is over. We can keep doing those things. I'm not saying shut it down. I'm saying voluntary alone doesn't work. It's time for mandates because it's the only way to protect our people. Now, this is the progressive way, of course. Uh, it, look, we're happy to have to, to ask you to do something. We don't need to force you until you don't do it. And then, of course, we do need to force you. That's that's the progressive way. But what's fascinating here is, is this is another version of essentially the argument of saying, hey, dummies, listen to the science. The science is king. Listen to the science. Stop being a denier. We know all the facts. You just need to listen. Why are you denying science? And as you might expect, I think that's a terrible way of doing things. But at least it's a somewhat coherent ideology, right? Like you might see that in something of a like a religion, for example, that might say, look, I don't care if you think premarital sex is a good idea. Don't do it. It's wrong. This is our religion is coming down. God has said, don't do it. There's no exceptions to that. Shut up. Right. (laughs) Not too many churches say it like that, but you know what I'm saying? Like, don't deny what God is saying. Do it. Don't worry about whether you think it's right or not. Do it. Okay. you can maybe understand that from a faith. Right. But this isn't a faith. This is supposed to be science. And if you want to say, listen to the the science, capital S, uh, air quotes around it, putting government before it, you you must listen to the science or you're a denier. You can either have that argument or you can have the one they always fall back on, which is basically saying, look, 
Yeah, we changed the guidance. I know it's a little frustrating, but this is how science works. Don't you understand that this is the way this works? We're in the middle of a pandemic. It's uncertain. Sometimes we learn, learn new information or we realize the old uh, information we were working off of was wrong. And so we're changing and we're doing the best that we can. You can have one of those two things, which can't have both. You can say this is how science works. It's, it starts and it stops and it's ebbs and it's flows. And we don't always get it right the first time. Please understand we're doing the best that we can. That's a coherent argument to come from scientists, but they want that. And at the same time, they want to be able to say, listen to the science. Don't be a denier. You can't have both of those things. If you're uncertain, that's OK. We're in the middle of a freaking pandemic. This is hard stuff. I think we all understand that. But you can't berate us over the head when we make a different decision based on the information that you yourself tell us is unreliable. That can't be the way this works. And it's tr they've tried to make it work like this. And this is why we're having so many problems. Um, here is a great example of this from CNN. They're talking to Rochelle Walensky from the CDC, and they have the question that a lot of people who are vaccinated have. I went through the trouble. I got this vaccination. Why the hell am I wearing a mask? Well, predominantly, this is something coming from unvaccinated people to unvaccinated people, correct? For the most part, absolutely. So then you can understand the frustration in those of us who are vaccinated saying, why the hell do I have to pay the price for this? Right. So we're asking everybody in those areas of orange and red and here here to to mask up. And here is the reason why. If you're a vaccinated person, you have um, and you're in one of those areas, as you said, a sea of red, a sea of covid. You have a reasonable high chance um, if nobody's wearing a mask to um, interact with people who may be infectious. That doesn't matter. You get vaccinated so that you can interact with people who are infected. That's why you get it. That's why you get it. This is such a bizarre thing. Now, look, at no point did anyone from any of these big biotech companies say that their vaccines were 100 percent effective at preventing cases. They, don't, they haven't said that. They've said they're 100 uh, percent effective in, with certain age groups and preventing death. Uh, but they they don't say that they prevent infections 100 percent. They never have. They've always, they, you know, the advertised the marquee value of this was 90 percent when they started. Obviously, that was not the Delta variant. It's probably a little bit lower for the Delta variant. The same thing we've seen with vaccinated people passing it to others. They've said it's something like 70 or 80 percent effective in stopping people from passing it to others. It's never been 100 percent. You're going to see some cases here and there. Uh, we've looked at the data this week. We've showed this to you where if you look at the age group breakdowns in country after country after country, the story is the same. When you have a highly vaccinated uh, age group, they are not, not only are they not dying, they're not really going to the hospital, they are really not getting cases. They're getting cases at one-tenth the rate of other groups that are less vac vaccinated. Th this, they are working, even though it's not going to be perfect. And that confidence should be reflected in the messaging from the CDC. They were weird and, and it took them a really long time at the beginning when people were still trying to figure out whether they wanted to be vaccinated or not. It took them a long time to say, hey, yeah, you're going to be able to do the things that you used to do. They botched that. They're botching this yet again. Um, and I think you look at this long term. Look, you know, uh, people, you need to get to a place where people can make the choice whether they're going to die or not. That's the ultimate. That's the ultimate vision of a future society. Death by choice. You want paradise on Earth? That's it. Death by 
choice. I know that sounds weird, but think about it. If you could get to a place where instead of people starving to death because they couldn't choose to find food, instead, the other thing, the other side of that, which is I found so much food, Taco Bell nacho fries are everywhere, and I ate so much of them, I died because I ate too much. That's the world you want. You want a world in which people aren't dying by diseases they can't possibly stop from getting. Cancers and uh, heart uh, ailments that are unrelated to my nacho fries. That's not how you want people dying. You want people dying because they made bad choices. (laughs) That's really what you want. You just don't want people dying from things that they can't choose to avoid. And here we are in a situation where Forget even a ruling on this for a second. Just follow me to this point. If you think vaccinations are going to stop you from getting COVID, you can get them. They're free. They're available everywhere. Go get one. You can probably get it done today. Certainly by tomorrow, you're going to be able to find an appointment. If you think that vitamin D or hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or whatever, whatever thing you think is, is better than the vaccine, you can go get that. And that will give you a choice to deal with the, with the virus the way that you want to. If you choose incorrectly, you're more susceptible to die of COVID. And if that happens, I will feel bad about it because I don't want you to die. I, like, I, have, I need the, all, every listener that I can get, frankly, every viewer. I need them all. So I don't want any of you to die. But if you choose wrong, at least it will be on you. That's all we can do as a society. That's all we can do. If we can get to that point, that's a great point to get to. That people get to make their own choice and take their own risks. So the idea that you need to have a a masking up because of a tiny percentage chance that someone who is vaccinated is going to get COVID and a tiny percentage chance that one of those people might pass it to somebody else. Yes, it happens. We hear the reports occasionally, but the numbers overall reflect that it is not happening very often at all. Instead, they're going to screw this up yet again because that is their job, you know? You come back to this at the beginning. Government, you don't want them control of your health. You don't want a government agent in between you and your freaking doctor. We said that during the Obamacare debate. It holds true today. You want to talk to somebody about a vaccine. You're not sure about it. Don't talk to Anthony Fauci or Rochelle Walensky. Talk to your doctor. See what they actually say. That's the way to handle this. Not through the government. Back in a second. We're just talking about health and how it's important. It's important for you to make your own decisions about health. However, so many of those decisions involve you eating things that taste like sawdust. And I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to do that. I, I don't have that capacity. I don't have that sort of willpower to eat sawdust after sawdust after green after green. I want something that tastes good. You've ever had that like really good, like delicious, like, you know, uh, dense bread, that bread that's like perfect. I love grilled cheeses with bread like this because, you know, you get that, that just great texture around some delicious cheese. Oh my God, my mouth is watering just thinking about it. Well, the problem with a lot of that bread, the bread isn't necessarily the best thing for you. Uprising Food has decided to change that whole thing around. They've cracked the code on healthy bread. Um, if you can't, it's interesting because if you, you can't find anything like this anywhere else, if you can't find something that's a combination of, of healthy, that tastes good, that is this fresh. 
they have bread that you know if you're on keto if you're on paleo um, they have all the all the the different uh, diets uh, depending on however lifestyle you eat you can get uh, uprising food to take care of you because you can have bread you can have bread again it's actually good plus the other thing i don't want to give up chips and i will tell you they've got these great chips that you can get from uprising food um, they're kind of like i don't know how to describe them really good bagel chips almost they're delicious delicious to dip in stuff i mean look the bottom line is look at me i'm gonna eat bread i'm gonna eat chips might as well get it from somewhere healthy somewhere where it's delicious somewhere where it is fresh go to uprisingfood.com use the code stew to get 10 bucks off the starter bundle right now it's kind of like a mini trip to the grocery store minus all the unhealthy distractions that i'm always distracted by they ship directly to your door. It's uprisingfood.com. Use the code stew. You'll get 10 bucks off your order. And that's how they know you like this stupid show. Uprisingfood.com. The code is stew. Really good op-ed from Jack Schaefer today uh, talking about it's time to rethink what the end of the pandemic looks like. And I think this is a really smart way of looking at it. He points out that, you know, look, we have opportunities here to, to kind of what we just talked about, be... Uh, able to avoid the worst effects of this virus. Uh, as he points out, 163 million vaccinated people in the United States, only 1,141 have died from the virus. Uh, that's in a time period where about 300,000 people have died uh, in the country from the virus. Um, and he, he, he puts it this way, which I, I thought was pretty interesting. I, I had not thought, and I didn't know all of this, but he says, for starters, instead of berating ourselves over having fully inoculated only 50% or he's 49% of the eligible U.S. population, we should celebrate the fact that we've made severe cases of COVID-19 and death by COVID-19 preventable. A higher percentage of Americans have taken a COVID-19 vaccine in the past seven months than took the flu vaccine during the catastrophic 2017-2018 flu season. This fact, I had no idea. Only 54% of the American population had taken the Salk polio vaccine six years after its introduction. Viewed from these angles, Americans in 2021 have not particularly been vaccine hesitant. I think that's good news. Maybe thinking about this in a good way is a little bit of a change. Also, I want to give you another bit of good news. We, we, we've referred to this a couple times. Bob Odenkirk, who uh, is like one of my favorite people on Earth, it seems to be apparently everybody's favorite person. I didn't know that. I've been a huge fan of him from back in the Mr. Show days, but he is, of course, on Better Call Saul and, and Breaking Bad before that. Um, he collapsed during a Better Call Saul taping, and it was really eerie because they didn't really give you any updates about how he was doing for an uncomfortably long time. They are saying now that he had a heart-related incident. He is recovering, and it looks like he's going to get better. And look, at this point, we've been through enough. We cannot lose Bob Odenkirk as a country. We, we just can't do it. He must survive. So get well, Bob Odenkirk, back in a second. Every single show uh, that we do is on YouTube. So why don't you watch them? Uh, by the way, when you're watching them at youtube.com slash Stu Does America, or just go to YouTube, search for my name, Stu, and I'll be right up there towards the top. I don't know if I'm the first one there anymore. Saturday Night Live did some sketch, and now that one's always at the top when you search for Stu. But anyway... You can find the show there pretty easily. We have a review from or a comment from YouTube last night's show, and it was a fun one. Dave, Stu, Dave, Stu, Dave, Stu. Oh, what a glorious day. Dave Rubin was on the show last night. It was a really good interview. He was fantastic as usual. Make sure you check out that interview on last night's show. Uh, I also, review the show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever they call it now. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars, though. That's the entry price. 
you got to give the five stars. Uh, it's great, whatever, in the review. I don't care. Uh, this one comes in. Love the show. Great analysis of current topics and humorous delivery. That's right. We try to make you laugh as the world burns. And remember, when you go and review the podcast, it's not only good for us, but more importantly, it's bad for other podcasts. And that's the most important thing. You can go to wokenessisweakness.com to get the new mug and t-shirt. Wokeness is weakness. It is. It's also a mental illness, as we learned on today's episode. We'll see you tomorrow.